Welcome to the Sports Law Podcast, where we talk about the intersection of sports and technology and how technology is going to help make the sports industry quicker and more agile in the future. Um, first of all, we have an announcement to make, which we're very excited about. Slate has joined the Sports Law family. Uh, Slate is a company based out of North America who help rights holders to really present their social posts in the most brand appropriate way by using their own fonts, using their own images, and easily overlaying all of their assets onto uh, existing platforms to be able to get the biggest benefit of uh, consistency across all of their social posts. Um, I'm very pleased, actually, speaking of that, to be joined by Eric Stark, the co-founder, who's joining us from uh, Portland and Oregon. And uh, we're looking forward to having a conversation with him. So, Eric, welcome to the Sports Law Podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. So um, why don't you, I've, I've given a very poor description of, of, of what you guys do, but why don't you take, take a minute and just tell our listeners what, what it is that Slate does before we kind of dive into the world of social media and, and kind of how the sports industry is tackling it well in some cases and, and, and potentially poorly in some others. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, I think you did a great job. Um, Slate is a content creation platform that's used by teams, leagues, and media organizations, um, and even some brands now to basically create content, social content in real time, like you said, using their own brand elements and brand assets. And so the tool basically works to speed up content teams' workflows to turn around social content quicker. Um, and to do so in a way that's higher quality, more brand consistent um, to some of their more uh, linear channels and also helps them monetize social by providing new formats of um, content that they could sell to sponsors and making it easier to integrate sponsors into their social content. Awesome. So so kind of give me a concrete example. If I'm uh, an NFL team, um, yeah. uh, you know, pick pick a pick a state. Um, uh, how would I, how would I best use it as a social media manager? What's the, you know, how do I dive in? What do I do? How does it work? Yeah. So Slate consists of a, a web portal and a mobile app and a team would use the web portal. So we'll take a team like the San Francisco 49ers. They would upload their own brand elements to the web portal, set all of their hex colors, add their logos, um, and even create bespoke content that they know they want to use, like frames and borders, say, for, you know, the first game of the season or for training camp, you know, upload stickers of their star players, um, elements from marketing campaigns that they want to use across social. And all that then gets fed into their mobile app. And the mobile app acts very similarly to you know, the platforms that any social content creator is used to using. So think about like Snapchat or Instagram stories where they're able to capture content or upload media from their camera roll or integrations that we're building, and then be able to really quickly overlay those branded elements that were uploaded by them or their creative team. So anyone would be able, anyone on the, the 49ers social team would be able to take a video and then quickly type over that video in the 49ers branded fonts and, you know, add a sticker that was created by their design team from, um, of the player that they're speaking about or add a branded frame, um, training camp sponsored by SAP, for example, is what the 49ers are using now. 
and then be able to export that and post right. it directly to Instagram stories or directly to feed. So in seconds, they can create basically branded content from their phone. And oftentimes they're the ones on the sideline capturing this content, looking down at their phone, preparing it and posting it. And now they could use all their own brand elements instead of settling basically for the public assets that platforms like Instagram provide, you know, users like me and you. Got it. So, so you're basically in, in, in my parlance, what you're doing is you're really, really reducing the time to be able to post something time critical, right? I don't need to go back to my creative team. I don't need to get them to make it look or make this image look a certain way with a certain font and a certain logo. You can basically from the moment the image or the video is captured, basically go into a portal, get it done, get it up within seconds. Yep, get it up within seconds and in a way that's brand consistent. So not right. only does it increase or speed up your workflow, it, it kind of opens the door to new possibilities of what sort of branded content you can create. Oftentimes teams before, you know, wouldn't even go back to their design team to prepare that content because this real-time content, this authentic content that is often your best performing on social media, you know, by nature isn't pre-produced and it's, you know, pretty much captured a post, like it's very timely. Um, Slate kind of brings together the authenticity of that content um, and your own brand elements to, to make sure that you can maintain that consistency and even sell that to sponsors without losing the timeliness or the authenticity. It must be a godsend. And and you're certainly talking from a position of, of knowledge, aren't you? Having having been on the other side, as it were, for a decade for mm-hmm. for teams and social uh, uh, social media teams running the social media for uh, teams in the NFL. Give us give us a bit of a flavor of how did this come about for you? And did you immediately did immediately seize on to the excitement of it and how much it could help you in that position and others like you in those positions? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it was kind of, you know, a kind of a light bulb moment for me when I was talking about it with my co-founder, you know, he was talking about branded fonts and another project he was working on and just thinking about, you know, my own experience running social for NFL and and the 49ers who I mentioned, uh, you know, quickly talking about, hey, it would be amazing if you were able to not only type in your own branded fonts across, you know, an image, but do everything you could do in a platform like Instagram, you know, add stickers, overlay filters, um, but have that all be totally controlled by your brand. And I, you know, it immediately was something that I wanted in my own job, which meant like I knew that a lot of others in the sports industry would too, and that there was definitely something there. And, you know, after doing a little bit of research, after we talked about this idea and realizing you know, this solution really didn't exist, um, at least not on the enterprise level. Everything that existed to do, you know, different fonts and different overlays on top of social content was still public facing, you know, apps like Unfold, for example, that you could download and it makes influencers content look a little differentiated and cooler. It's still not a brand's content. Um, it's still not custom and bespoke to that brand and the creative styles and teams that they've developed and that was a crucial element stuff that you can you can make something look a bit cooler but it's not your own brand right right exactly and in fact it's another example of off-brand content for these other brands and we've we've had some teams that were using these other apps kind of before 
slate just to differentiate their content, but it still it still was off brand for them, not monetizable and not something they could control. Right? It's you know these are these are public assets, basically stock templated assets that they're using from across the web, and right. Right, they're right. great for small businesses and for individuals who are trying to do more and do different things, but. We're talking obviously about massive brands with a very established brand identity um, that care about how their content fits their own brand identity and and their partners. So talk talk to me a little bit about the um, point you just made about the the control and and the ownership. How how is Slate set up to make sure that the the teams, the rights holders who work with you, can actually monetize? what they do with you to the to, to the yeah. greatest effect. Yeah, absolutely. So the platform basically is, you know, not it's not literally white label, but it acts like a white label platform for each brand. There's nothing when you launch a slate account with us, there's nothing in there that's stock or templated, nothing on the creative side that we um, drop in there for you. Brands are able to control everything that they're creating content with and change out those assets at any time. Um, so they're able to basically create formats that then could get executed in Slate. A good example is, um, you know, the San Antonio Spurs, the NBA team, who the, they're not in the bubble anymore, but when they went to the bubble, they, you know, through their Slate app, basically created a filter um, that was like a pregame cam. So it looked like a cam recorder filter with their own logo and their own colors. Oh, and they, yes, I remember that. Yeah, 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 I remember seeing that. Yeah, and they, um, so they were able to quickly overlay that on top of media using Slate um, and then go get it sponsored. So they created a format that was easy to execute using the platform, a new format that they really wouldn't have done without the platform because of how time consuming it would be on a, actual game day to overlay, you know, every video with um, this creative. And then they took that to Samsung and sold it as a sponsorable element. So, you know, not only does it make it really easy to just include all of your sponsors onto the content you already have sold um, by not slowing down your workflow to add sponsor logos, you could do things that are basically new and innovative and kind of go beyond a logo slap by incorporating sponsors into your slate creative. Um, and that's theirs to sell, um, you know, as much as they want. Um, it's basically, you know, we just enable, we just enable it to be um, delivered. Got it. And and I, I'm so fascinated to have this conversation with you because you've been in the sort of trenches of, um, teams and rights holders engaging with social media and engaging directly with fans. Um, you know, let's, let's pivot a little bit to what's going on in the broader world right now um, with obviously Instagram launching reels ostensibly to take on TikTok. There's also, you know, some political upheaval around TikTok, especially in the U S. So, so there's a lot of interesting, you know, uh, discussion points around there, but, in in the first instance, one of the things that we talked about before we we started recording, which which kind of resonated with me, was um, that Slate is there essentially to try and save time for these social media teams who are running around trying to generate as much content and as much interesting content as possible uh, that is on brand and on message. Mm -hmm. The perception on the European side is that you know North American teams are 
leap years ahead of of uh, you know Premier League teams or other uh, other leading rights holders in in Europe in this approach. But it, it, it doesn't seem that there are big teams in these North American um, organizations mm-hmm. to run social and to do this. Why, why do you think that is? And 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 how complicated does it get? every time an Instagram introduces a Reels and another way to publish on an established platform. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think folks would be surprised at how small, um, you know, how how limited the resources are, you know, in, in sports across the US, just like they are um, internationally and in Europe. Um, at You know, and the reason why I can't really tell you, I mean, obviously, I think the investment in social and digital is is increasing from where it's been in the past five to 10 years, but it's still, um, I think, still lower than it needs to be for um, for a lot of teams. You know, it's not their it's not their traditional method of, of making money or engaging fans for how long they've existed. And it's something that's only come up recently and is, is obviously growing in importance. Um, but the key thing is, you know, you kind of mentioned it when Instagram introduces a new way to publish like reels, it also it also grows in complexity um, to manage these social accounts. Basically, every year, you know, there's new ways to publish new trends that you have to stay on top of more and more content that you have to publish. I mean, you think about even before Instagram stories, you know, now with Instagram stories, you know, you have to post 10 unique pieces of content a day to that platform and make sure that that's engaging and, you know, with all of the other platforms that you have to keep up with and, and content types that you have to prepare for. So, you know, a social Where media- that, that benchmark of 10 come from? I'm curious. Is, is it like a benchmark or is it kind of a target that the 49ers had or is it just, is it something that that's how much you need to engage with the audience and make sure that they're continually uh, interacting with you. Yeah, I kind of just threw that number off the cuff. Um, <laughs> Sorry to put you on the benchmark that I have in my mind. <laughs> um, but the point being, like, there's just there's this volume pressure to to keep your accounts yeah. up to date, and it's a twenty four seven job. And when you know when a new platform like or when a platform like Instagram introduces a new uh, a new way to post content like Reels you know, the social team doesn't get an extra person to help manage that, right? It's now on them to figure out, hey, how do we post for this new platform? What resources do we need? Um, And really on them to prepare that content, um, oftentimes, to post to these platforms. And the pressure, you know, a social media manager needs to be a copywriter, a video producer, a graphic designer, uh, a PR person, all in one. um, And, you know, they need the tools to be able to do that really, really quickly because the the content comes at them fast and needs to be posted quickly to um, to perform well, you know. And they also need to work well with sales and make sure this content is getting monetized. So, yeah, I think you know there's um, a lot of pressure on a social media team, and we're, that's where we come in to to not only help them do more, um, but to to do things in the way that they that they really want to do um, and not have to waste time to to make that a reality. And so give me give me an idea. You started at the at the coal face of this um, about a decade ago um, or, or you, you spent a decade in social media teams. 
was that, you know, half your time as part of the marketing department when you started? And then there were like three social media people by the time you finished. How has it evolved over that time? Yeah. Um, yeah. So for me, you know, when I when I came to the 49ers um, to work, you know, when, and when I started my career, I started at the NFL working kind of with all 32 teams on their digital and social strategies. You know, digital was really the main thing and social was kind of this, you know, other piece. I remember we hired at the NFL like a social a social strategist for the clubs, you know, while I was within my first year there and there was kind of one person focused on social and everyone else was really focused on digital and um, homepages and websites and how content was performing there. Um, and really the first use of social was Facebook pushing content back to your website. So it was still, it was still kind of centered around digital and all of a sudden social just became a new, a new tool like Google SEO to drive traffic. Um, and that really didn't start to evolve. I don't think until, you know, 2014, 2015, when folks were deciding to program just for social. And I think part of what drove that is, um, Facebook releasing video and feed and then people realizing like the video views they were getting in it within Facebook were way more than when they would drive people back to their website. And that's really when things started to shift. So when I started, you know, there was no one just dedicated to social. Um, it was anyone dedicated to social was also overseeing like the website content, which was kind of what, like what I was doing at the 49ers, but increasingly, you know, from when I started at the Niners to when I left, which was only a few years, my job became more and more focused on the social content, um, probably from like 70-30 to closer to 50-50. And now there's obviously folks at teams dedicated just to social, and that's way more the priority than than the websites. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to think about that shift, isn't it? And also kind of, I guess, the, the, the original thought process, which I'm also you know, I guess in the, in that um, in that sphere back in the the some previous iterations is we need to constantly drive everything back to our own channels in order to make sure that we're trying to collect as much data as possible and own that. It's interesting to see you know to see over the next few years how that balance between own channels and sort of the huge social media channels really winds up playing out. But I, w- I want to put you on the spot a little bit, and if you want to avoid the North American market because of relationships. That's cool. But um, who do you see doing social really well and kind of go, you know what, that, that guy or that team, they're, they're really nailing it for a variety of reasons. Who's, who's, who's doing it well and who's doing it badly. If, if you feel comfortable sharing something like that. Yeah. I mean, I think definitely comfortable pointing out some, some folks who are doing it really, really well. Um, and there's, there's almost too many to count. It feels like so many teams have caught up, um, in that, in the space and have been, are just pumping out so much like really impressive content. I mean, ones that come to mind just right now, um, just from kind of what I've been watching over the last few weeks or is content from the NBA bubble, you know, NBA teams just are so good at um, producing content. They have a lot more flexibility than, um, than other leagues in terms of being able to post highlight content, which helps, you know, NFL is coming around in that area. 
um, too. But you know, because of the way the broadcast rights are structured, they've they've retained the ability to do that. Yeah, exactly. And I know, I think in the Premier League, you know, there's some restrictions there. I know in Bundesliga, there has been historically. And it, like, admittedly, if you can't take any video within, you know, your stadium on a game day, like that's going to hurt what you can do and how you could engage on social. So, um, yeah, but I mean, teams like, you know, I've been, we've been following the Dallas Mavericks closely during the bubble and been like super impressed with what they've um, what they've been doing. The Clippers are always best in class. Um, the Houston Rockets, um, you know, are a team that I think really innovates and really cares about social content from the top down. Um, and there's just so many, there's so many teams across the leagues that are, um, that are crushing it. Basically, you know, I can give you a list of, of 20 and not be able to kind of rank one above the other. Um, I don't know. I can't. Re- I can't really think off the top of my head of one who we would say like isn't doing well. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because there's there's a lot of um, there are a lot of teams trying a lot of different things, um, and especially in this you know lockdown environment, you see teams trying to do things either to. Um, over service partners to make sure that they're not giving sponsorship fees back or to try and generate new revenue streams or yep. new content to keep their fans engaged. It has been actually a really, um, dare I call it a social media rich time, time period, um, uh, which, which is really interesting. I think that some of the, um, you know, interestingly, some of the Premier League teams were, were caught a little bit behind the curve and, and sort of, didn't really piggyback on some of the stuff that their own players were doing. And that's what I found really interesting um, from, uh, from my observations, which is that um, it's a completely different uh, generational approach to how you use social and how you communicate on it. And obviously these young superstars who are, you know, footballers or, you know, basketball players, um, obviously some are more sophisticated than others, but they are all have grown up immersed in that and, and really knowing how to use it. And teams being able to interact with that and really piggyback off of their own assets that they have under contract, um, those that do it really, really well actually tend to be really successful in that. Um, you know, yeah. I think of the Bucks and Giannis, they have a very good uh, sort of interaction and back and forth. Um, the Mavs, as you mentioned, the Mavs and, and Luka Doncic, they have a bit of a social media star on their hands there, but they do really well with that. I think that's a very interesting dynamic that, that, the teams on this side of the pond are starting to waking up, wake up to a little bit um, in what I'd call a non-forced way. It's not like a three players standing, holding up can of, you know, the relevant energy drink sponsor, but actually interacting yeah. on a real, uh, real level, which is really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I definitely think that, you know, teams, teams were forced to see the importance of social and digital over, over the past um, four or five months, because it was the only touch point that they had to fans, you know, once the game shut down. And I heard from a lot of social teams, um, you know, both here in the U S and in Europe that, you know, they were actually under like busier than ever, like you said, being kind of a social media rich time. And everyone in the organization now had like ideas for what they could be doing on social. And, um, you know, 
Because also- suddenly there's something else, right? Exactly. Um, and it was also a very sensitive time too with, you know, everything yeah. going on in the world, what they were posting on social basically like really mattered for what the message of the team and the company was. And all of a sudden this was falling all in the hands of the social media team. And um, yeah, so it's definitely, you know, I think something that came out of it is, is teams really starting to see more and more, I think the value of, of that as a touch point, you know, from the top down. Um, and agreed, like the teams that did it well during that time were, were the ones who had, you know, their players um, be at the forefront. You know, one that comes to mind is NYCFC, the MLS club in New York, did a really good job of highlighting their players and having conversations with their players on Instagram stories, you know, throughout uh, March, April, May. And they ended up incorporating a sponsor into that content too, Um Cisco WebEx kind of like sponsored that um, that series for them, which was very fitting because they were kind of video calls um, and it just worked really, really well. Uh, and of course, they, they use Slate to execute it, which I'll, I'll plug in there. Um, but, you know, that, that's the other piece of it is, like you said, like there's a lot of sponsors now that have no other inventory but social, you know, in-stadium sponsors, um, sponsors from the concourse or at live events and teams are are forced to find um, assets and places for them on social. And I think um, it's really going to open up, I think, the sales team to how social is a valuable asset in and of itself to, to make money off of, not just kind of an add-on um, to a bigger deal that, you know, social could be monetized really, really well. And I think that's going to be a change that comes going forward too, as, as all these teams are having more pressure to, to include their current sponsors into social. That makes, that makes a ton of sense. So listen, let me, let me take you to two final questions from macro to micro. What, first of all, what, where, where do you see sort of the social media landscape going um, in terms of uh, platforms, accessibility, interactions, What's the what's the big picture uh, for anybody trying to look sort of into the next two to five years and uh, and take a position on uh, on the industry, the market, however you want to look at it? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it ties really heavily to um, to monetization, right, and how much social content is going to be tied to sponsorship revenue for these teams and become like a really important, um, a really important line item for them for what they're selling an important like element for that. You know, I also think and hope that teams are going to start to invest a lot more in digital and social, um, even before, especially social and how, how important it is to every piece of your organization. Like we talked about it before, like it's not just, um, social content. It's also now kind of your PR arm and how you're publicly, you know, communicating with fans during good times and also when there's issues. So I definitely see once things start to come back in terms of fans and stadium and, and um, revenue starts flowing a little more again, that investment, that investment is going to go into the social space, um, which is going to be a good thing for, um, for teams who, who decide to take advantage of it. Um, in terms of kind of platforms, 
Yeah, I mean, it's definitely seems kind of like all the platforms are melding together a little bit in terms of like the feature sets. And there's only going to be more and more ways to post content. Um, One thing that I think isn't going to change is that content, you know, that's more real and authentic, real time, raw behind the scenes is the content that is going to be performing well um, versus, you know, pre-produced, pre-packaged content. And there's just going to be a greater demand for a, a higher volume and more access, um, which in some ways is a, is a good thing for social teams too. Yeah. Because that is, it's really your cheapest content to produce, right? Like it's um, content that anyone could capture on a phone. It's just a matter of access and posting that at kind of a higher volume. And, and, and the most immediate, right? It's literally face to face with the people that everybody wants to follow. Exactly. And so that's that's the industry. It'll be fascinating to see where that goes, but I definitely agree that kind of monetization is probably where, where it's going to be because that's ultimately what everybody is in, in, in the business for, right? Um, what about for Slate? What's next for Slate? Yeah, I mean, I think we want to position ourselves on the forefront of all of those things and we're kind of placing bets on those things. You know, we our, our platform helps teams produce more um more content that is real time and authentic and also maintains that that brand consistency that matters to um, to any brand uh, and, and helps them monetize content in a way that really we think has evolved beyond just like a logo slap uh, in being able to monetize really like we said their most valuable content and their cheapest content to produce so we definitely think there's kind of a, a gold mine sitting there for for teams that we could help them, um, we could help them monetize in a way that won't turn off fans and will actually, you know, deeper engage their their fans and better represent their brand and the brands of the partners that they want to include on their content. Um, you know, I also think, you know, we've started to see some teams use Slate for their O&O channels, their mobile apps. And I definitely think you know, there's still a value in um, driving audiences to your own platforms, especially audiences that, you know, use mobile for ticketing and for other things that um, are directly tied to, to your own property. And I think video on those mobile apps are also going to start to mimic social media, right? Like the stories format of tapping through full screen video you know, should should really just be the video player that any mobile app provider, you know, uses. No one wants to kind of have like a smaller thumbnail and click into a video and then have right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just the better way to consume video on mobile and, and why not program your O&O content in that in that same way. So I, th- I think that that's going to, you know, start to play out on O&O channels as well. And, and something we we want to help with we're already working with some teams on connecting slate directly to publish to their mobile apps Uh, and we think that's a pretty innovative way to to program content on your own channels as well and for those of us who are philistines and probably still use flint to to start fire o and o stands for owned and operated yes (laughs) (laughs) awesome well listen um eric i got i've got one final question um You're, you're dialing in from Portland, but you're from Southern California. Who's, uh, who's taking home the bubble, uh, the Orlando bubble NBA title? Oh man, I gotta go. I gotta go with my hometown team, the, the LA Lakers. 
Number four for LeBron. Yes, number four for LeBron, and it will be um, his hardest run, as he as he has stated on social media. So I think they're going to overcome this uh, this um, stumbling out of the gate for the playoffs and and turn it around because LeBron and AD um, are are the two best players on the court at any time. That's uh, that, that's a, that's a difficult argument to take a take a position against. Well, listen, um, Eric, thank you very much for taking the time. We're super excited to have Slate on board with uh, Sportsloft. To the listeners out there, if you enjoyed today's, there's going to be a lot more where that come from. Uh, subscribe and follow us. There'll be another podcast in two weeks. Um, and we look forward to seeing you again on the Sportsloft podcast. Take care. Thanks, Eric.